and I want to protect them and I don't want them getting confused about what social justice is and what saving souls is. Um, because when I look back, I go, if I had walked into a church that was doing all that, I don't know that it would have had anything for me because it would have looked just like the college campus that I was sort of limping in from. Hi again, everybody, and welcome back to The Narrative. Mike Andrews, Aaron Baird, David Mahan joining you today. And we're kind of in the doldrums of February right now. We were all excited a couple weeks ago. We saw sunshine, but now we're just in this middle period. Listen, of man, like I'll take it. Sunshine. I'm not whining. And after what that January was, that that was like just ungrateful, 12, 12 years for like. And I, I remember the one of the first years we came back after you know living in Arizona for those seven years of uh, of sunshine. Uh, there was a February that had like twenty days of under twenty degrees. And I, I said, what in the world did we do? Like Super Bowl's in the rear view mirror and we're just getting into spring training and stuff like Pitchers that. Pitchers and catchers have reported. Like, that's great, but I'm I'm ready for opening day. I've and changed that's still my six coffee weeks away. mugs in the office. It was a big day today. So and, and David's got nothing to say about any no, of this, which is which is good. David this is glazed over. Is we can have our world. own conversation here for five minutes and David <laughs> exactly. will check back in at the end. It'd be it. just like last week. David wasn't there at all. Like, we didn't need this guy. Like that's uh, <laughs> living it up in Nebraska. In that's Nebraska. Right. Exactly. The fine cornfields of the Midwest. <laughs> it's good to have you back, David. And as we get started today, a bit of a somber topic to to get started with, and that was the reports of a, a shooting at a Houston church. The notable thing there is Joel Osteen's church, which is a very large congregation down there. And uh, I hate to be overly cynical, but I think maybe the reason that we heard about it is because Joel Osteen is a notable name. Um, But I think as we're sitting around talking about this before the program today, one of the unfortunate things about situations like this is they don't get reported on a lot if if they happen in churches and things like that. And, And just... First of all, prayers for for Joel Osteen's church, for for Lakewood Church in Houston, for for the shooter and other victims that were involved, and and for anybody who is there witnessing it. And I uh, think we, from what we do know, God had a hand in in this happening at a time when it wasn't overly populated. Yeah. Um, but just a, between services, between services. Yeah. So just just a lot to unpack with that. And and as always, since we are called the narrative, we just. I think need to talk about the media narrative or how the media frames these situations that we keep unfortunately seeing pop up throughout the country. Yeah, I think this is, and this is always a hard one to talk about a situation like this because um, you want to be careful not to you know try to overly politicize these types of things. But at the same time, there's there's so much about what happened uh, at, at this church uh, that is revealing about where our culture's at that I think is important for inform Christians to understand uh, and be able to respond to uh, and, and frame their 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 worldview I think so so I think I mean the 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 facts of the situation are important and and guys correct me if I'm wrong here so this happened in between services this was a a woman who at times identifies as a man right. uh, who came in uh, with an AR-15 and a bag full of other weapons from what I understand saying that that she had explosives. Um, and also had her seven-year-old or five-year-old son, seven-year-old son, seven-year-old son, uh, in tow, seemingly as a a human shield, uh, David, as we were talking about beforehand, and um, who who was struck uh, and is not passed as as far as we know at this yeah, point, but was critical. was is in critical condition. Um, 
And honestly, I think that, Dave, the first thing from my perspective with this that really jumped out is that I didn't hear about this for maybe a couple days afterwards, which is not just surprising because it's a, you know, a shooting with an AR-15, but it was at, you know, maybe the largest church in America. That that struck me first and foremost, because I I saw it a couple days before you and... um, because I don't watch a lot of sports, I do watch a lot of news when I, you know, when I get home, YouTube news, right? And so um, the way that it was being, um, the way that the narrative was, it was that it was a mega church and a um, celebrity pastor, right? That was the thing that they just kept hitting, so, you know, mega church, celebrity pastor. But then all these little details started being leaked out about um, Palestine on the magazine of the gun and the fact that you know all of the anti-Israel rants that she was known to have, yes, mental illness, yes, identifying as a male at times, but but even to this day, if you you know if somebody puts out a story on you know, just to check on what happened at Lakewood, um, it's going to be primarily you know mega church pastor, you know mega church celebrity pastor, um, which I thought was interesting. Like why would they highlight those features um, when you have? in the context of what we're dealing with internationally, you know, with Israel, why would that not be a focus or a feature that she was anti-Semitic? Yeah. Yeah. And I think the other things, I mean, there's so much that, that jumped out to me, you know, first and foremost, and it, and it shows in the, uh, the grand intersectionality of progressive politics, what matters most, right? Because, um, you know, it's fascinating that after, you know, here is an individual walking into a public space with an AR-15 and you're not hearing Joe Biden call for gun control right, that's right, right now. That's right. Right? Like, where, where are, it, and all you can, all I can help but think is that these are, these, it's, these victims are okay victims to have, right? It, yeah. Like, it, honestly, from the media narrative, this this fits by every other, you know, situation. This fits their best opportunity to make their big and, and going into an election year. Yeah. Wouldn't you think they would want to be high? But nope, because it was a transgender individual, uh, a woman who says she's a man, walking into a church. This is not the the story they want to be telling, right? Um, and and again, it just it goes to show, and I think we're seeing this more and more, and, and I, I think. I've thought so many times about uh, the conversation we had with Laura Reese a few weeks ago on uh, on immigration, where you know the 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 narratives that the media jumps on, right? Like the, the family separation or, or kids in cages, all that kind of stuff is is happening right now. But yeah. you know, uh, it, it's now being done under a Democrat instead of under a Republican. So it's no, you know, it, you don't have AOC yeah. crying outside these these places anymore. And you got, you have the spiritual side of this, right? Like this woman, somebody was watching um, from a car or whatever, and they, they saw her go to the trunk. You know, she puts something under her trench coat that she was wearing. And then she goes and gets her child out of the car. Uh, What other reason would you have, but to use the baby, the child as a, as a human shield. Right. I mean, what does that say about where we are as a country um, this child was shot in the head. Uh, apparently, you know, somebody was trying to get the woman. Um, you know, we uh, please prayers for for the child. I believe there was another man that was shot and killed in the yeah. lower extremities. Um, but um, yeah, th- this this spiritually, what does it say uh, about where we are uh, in America? Well, and even too, you know, 
for those of us who've been tracking closely what's been going on in Israel with the Palestinians for a long time, you know, the rea- I mean, this is one of the things that is happening right now where they're housing a lot of these hostage- hostages in schools or in hospitals. Uh, you know, using kids as human shields is, is nothing new uh, for for the Palestinians or, or pro-Palestine, uh, pro-Palestinian uh, protesters. Um, and just the, the other thing that, about this that really jumped out to me, uh, and honestly, this plays a little bit into the conversation we're, we're going to have with Megan Basham later, um, but think about Joel Osteen's church is not known as a particularly conservative <laughs> church, right? <laughs> like, like, why Joel, that That's one? putting it very diplomatic. Joel, yeah, exactly. Joel, Joel, <laughs> we'll say that, but like, why that but, but But it is, you know, if, if you are... In any way, and and I would argue Joel Osteen is in the very smallest ways at times proclaiming Jesus, right? Um, just uttering the name occasionally of Jesus uh, on top of a whole bunch of life coaching. But the, the the reality is, you know, even his church yeah. is targeted, right? I, I th- this is. You know, honestly, this is one of the hardest conversations to have with a lot of Christians today. Where, and we, I remember we talked about this after uh, issue one and, uh, in, in the office, and it's the reason why we're putting together this this vital signs report on sort of the the after action post mortem uh, report on the uh, election. And you know, the reality is. Christians need to understand what time it is in in America, right? That we we don't realize that um, really the animosity that's in culture for the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the again, I think the conversation we're going to have today of, of the framing of so many of these things uh, of these issues is is so severe, um, and it's not a call for fear. I think that that that's the opposite response that we should have. Uh, but it is there needs to be a, a, an acknowledgement um, of of what's happening today. Yeah, just a basic understanding of that cultural soup that you're swimming in. And I know that's mixing metaphors, but I think it adequately describes that point that there's just so many factors, both from within the story, the media, and then when you even look at the the varying degrees to which churches would say that they hold a biblical worldview, but also let so many secular ideas in the back door and then try to guilt conservative Christians into their beliefs. Like this is kind of the storm that results from all of those things. You know, to speak of the guilting that takes place, I mean, I bet you everyone in that church was was excited that there was two good guys with guns in that church. Right. Right. Which would probably not be a good thing to you know that the media would want to hear but i'm sure that they were very thankful that day yeah well it is going to i think continue to to ramp up throughout the rest of this year we're headed toward primary season uh here in ohio what five weeks away now i can't believe it we're we're, going right right into it yeah yeah, i think we gave a countdown last week and i don't even remember what it was last week but it's coming up march 19th is our primary here in ohio it's not only presidential primary we've got state races all the state representatives are, are up for re-election, and we've got U.S. representatives, a senator race, all kinds of stuff going on here. And it's interesting, now that we're roughly within that month window, we're really starting to see what kind of things are are maybe yeah. going to swing this election. And we're starting to, yeah. to roll in. Yeah, it's exactly. exciting to watch. Yeah. It is. Yeah. <laughs> and one of, the, one of the things that we were just commenting on, um, 
Fairness Act, which yeah. we've talked about a little bit on the show. It's been a while since we've mentioned it, but Aaron, give us a refresher on what that is, but then also why this may be something that we see so much about over the next four or five weeks. Yeah, and I, I got to be honest, I'm really, I, I'm excited about this because this this is one of those things, again, like I keep going back to what, what is culture. It's the assumptions we make about the world around us. And, you know, four or five years ago, the culture in uh, Ohio, especially in conservative circles, was we really need to start you know, moderating on these LGBT issues. These are losers for us. We shouldn't be talking about these things. And um, you started seeing this big movement of Republicans and especially folks in the business community, uh, you know, say, hey, well, you know, we it, it, we really should be supporting things like the, the Fairness Act, which is the Ohio equivalent of the Equality Act nationally, which this is the bill that makes sexual orientation and gender identity. So sexual orientation, think uh, LGB. Uh, gender identity, think T. Um, th- this is the bill. Like, you know, we always say this is the most dangerous bill in, in America, in Ohio. It allows men in women's bathrooms. It would allow boys playing girls sports. It would, you know, say a business could be sued for uh, uh, saying that they're not going to hire or serve gay or transgender people. Again, that's not happening. Right. They can't point to any examples of that happening. Uh, but they they use this as sort of a bullying and intimidation. This is what the same law they use in Colorado to go after Jack Phillips for uh, not wanting to make a cake celebrating a, a same-sex wedding. Um, so it really is. It's an awful bill. It's been around for 10 years, um, and it was starting to get momentum in Ohio, and then the wind's kind of been taken out of it. And honestly, again, I, I don't want to you know pat CCV on the back, but we've really been driving for the last five, six years how terrible this bill is. And now all of a sudden, to me, you could tell when you start getting over that line is when you start seeing, you know, Republicans using this, especially in primaries, as a, hey, this guy's not a good guy because they put their name on this bill. Uh, And we're starting to see some of that. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I'm looking at some of the, uh, somebody sent me an ad, uh, political, you know, mailer uh, to me today. It's for uh, a guy who was one of the uh, first Republican supporters of the Fairness Act. Um, 2022 uh, Ohio lawmaker who got a, an A minus rating for Equality Ohio here in the state of Ohio, but Brett Hillier, he uh, on the back of his flyer, it, it clearly says, um, "Ohio won't go woke with Bre- Brett Hillier in the state house." I, to, to, well, first of all, he he voted against um, Safe Act, Save Women Sports, you know, twice. But now that he's being primary, he votes yes to overturn DeWine's veto. But the shot of him sitting behind Click, who's like very celebratory, <laughs> and him like all down in his seat with his hand on his face. I mean, it's, it's, it's just hilarious to watch. But I am concerned. You know, one, one thing I noticed was the, the flyer went out to his district, but he did not put it in a social media. Right. Now, what does that say? Right. He thinks he can deceive his neighbors. Right. Who doesn't really know, don't really know what's going on downtown. But if he puts it on social media, he's going to get hammered. Right. Right. Yeah. No, and I mean, what, what what you just see. And, and this is one of these things, again, why we're always driving. Hey, who's your state rep? Who's your state senator? Who's who's representing you? Because um, these guys actually have a ton of power. Uh, on way way more actually in many ways uh, on our day to day lives than our our congressional candidates or our senators uh, or U.S. senators I should say, um, because you know we actually pass bills in Ohio right as opposed to what they do in Washington, um, and 
and state government is a, is really a behemoth. Um, and you see this really common, really, really regularly here uh, around Ohio where folks come from really conservative rural parts of the state and then they come down into Cap Square and they get consumed in the swamp. Um, and so, you know, you have Brett Hillier, who's been a sponsor of it, but then you also see this happening. You know, this this bill has come up in the Senate race. Two of the 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 folks running for U.S. Senate have sponsored this bill. Um, it's come up in a congressional race, uh, you know, up in um, uh, Northeast Ohio. Uh, State Senator Michael Rooley is, has sponsored this bill. He's running for Congress against State Representative Reggie Stoltfus. I mean, you, you're really seeing this come up, and it's, it's starting to – uh, really uh, hurt people who have put their name on this, and that's a to me that that is the political process working. That's what this right. should be. Pressure is is listen. If you're gonna put your th- th- this is one of these things that again, like I I always get upset when I hear Christians talk about how we shouldn't get involved in the dirty world of politics or or we shouldn't run negative ads. No, this isn't about running negative ads. This is about running truthful ads about how people have led. <laughs> Right, you know when I when I first came to CCV, and I've I've learned a lot. Um, uh, they've they've beat it out of me, but I, <laughs> I uh, when I went to their offices to meet them, I would ask some of them, like for marijuana, for fairness, I would ask them, how come I was just in your district and you didn't brag about this bill? Right, you never talk about your support for the fairness act. You never talk about your support for marijuana, but yet you champion it here downtown, right? And so it, this is one of those examples, right? It's like what they're doing in secret, and now they're just completely, that's deception, but now they're just completely lying right. as if I've never even touched the stuff. Right, and, and, and it, it's really just an opportunity for us when we can highlight it and tell folks what, what, these, what people have done. And it's, to me, you know, we saw this as, you know, especially on the pro-life movement um, where, you know, you flash back 25 years ago, um, and being pro-life as a candidate was seen as an absolute liability. You can't do it. Uh, and then you look at you know the last pro-life president to win, Donald Trump in 2016. He won by saying he was going to appoint conservative originalist judges who were going to take on on Roe. Um, and that was that that was a testament to the the incredible work of the pro-life movement. I think you're starting to see that now on. Uh, on these LGBT issues yeah, that we've 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 changed the the narrative around it. We've changed the we've moved the Overton window. Whatever you want to say, we've made it so that listen. If you're putting your name on this bill as a sponsor, if you're associating yourself with this, um, it's going to be something that's going to really hurt you come election time. Uh, and that's a that, that's the way this should. And work. if you still want to do it, then do it. Right? Just don't be deceptive. That's my thing. Your policy yeah. position matters. That's right. And and the people who are voting for you have a right to know what your yeah, actual be, position be is on policy. Hey, I'm going to throw us a quick curveball. I know we didn't talk about this before oh, well. we started. Okay. But today's Ash Wednesday. Yes. First day of Lent. Yeah. I'm just curious, guys. Do you have anything that you do as we start this holy season leading up to Easter that that's just like a regular? <laughs> no, I, like yeah, um, no, no. None, none of us are are Catholics or right. might not. We got Catholics uh, on the staff. We well, do, yeah, exactly. we do, and I know that they maybe have a little more regimented schedule, but just you know, personal mm-hmm. devotional life, just things that you're looking forward to this holy season to to prepare your hearts for for Easter Sunday. Yeah, you know, we we talked about this a little bit uh, at prayer this morning, I, I, and again. You know, this is going to sound shallow to everyone, and I can already feel David's judgmental eyes <laughs> casting on me. Um, but like, for me, a lot of the, when I when I think about the Lenten season, it's how do I uh, force myself uh, to get my mind off of myself, 
uh, and even like the pressures of, of the day-to-day and uh, put them on uh, the cross and put them on uh, the, the incredible sacrifice Jesus made. Um, and it, it's, you know, it, it sometimes that's fasting by mm-hmm. all means, right? Um, I'm, I, I like doing um, uh, sun up to sundown fasts, right? That's typically if I'm going to do a fast, that'll be the way I do it, which makes it a lot easier to fast in the winter than in the summer. Um, <laughs> but uh, this time, you know, what what I'm doing is I look for things of what do I what do I turn to for distraction? And honestly, there's nothing I turn to distraction more for than Twitter. Uh, and so uh, I, I and I announced it to the team so that you guys could hold me accountable. If all we just made funny, you start like- seeing me tweet on stuff. <laughs> Um, but, but it is like that. What, what do I go to when I'm just, I've got 30 down seconds, uh, I get my phone out and I start, you know, doom scrolling or whatever it's called, uh, on Twitter. Um, and so forcing myself to, to not go to that for relaxing time or checkout time or things like that. Uh, the other thing I'll say, like, I know my wife always does this is she reads, um, uh, all four gospels during, uh, during Lent every year. Um, which I always thought was a, a great way of uh, of sort of preparing our hearts for for Easter. But I don't know, David. You... Yeah, you're holier than him, David. So what, yeah. what do you do? Speaking of deception, <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, no, we my family generally fast for a year. We they were raised, you know. We we fast, and you know, usually it's like media fast, like you're talking about, Aaron, and sometimes food. And we started a little early last uh, last month, uh, my wife and I. But I think one of the best things we ever did in terms of you know, raising our kids. One of the best things in homeschooling is is fasting during this Lenten season. That we turn off things in the flesh for that, and turn on, you know, and amp up things in the spirit uh, to focus on on God more in, in this time. How about the Andrews family? Well, we actually did it a little more as a start of the year type thing, but we're trying to be very intentional with a Sabbath this year, and we tend to celebrate with a big meal on Saturday night or some kind of fun dessert. And then we're putting phones down. We're turning off screens. We're going to read books. We're going to do devotionals. We're going to play board games and stuff. And we're going to enjoy family time until our Sunday meal together. So we're, we're trying to do that as part of our, our weekly rhythm. And so so when I got, when I need you on a Sunday, I'm just going to have to knock on your door then. And that's the, yes, uh, that's yes more or less unreachable. Sorry, I feel that's you, gonna, I, instead of Twitter, it's going to be Mike Andrews. Mike, like, yeah, like, tweet this. I didn't, I didn't, my fix, I'm going to tweet this. Sorry. Bring it on. Yeah. Bring it on. You're welcome to reach out. I have limited ability to, to be reached. Really we do good. we do keep the lines of communication open in case of an emergency. I don't think that qualifies. It's an emergency <laughs> tweet. People have to know what I think about this. It'd be funny, Mike, if it didn't happen. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> true. true. I'm, I'm fasting from Aaron Bear's emergency tweets, tweet needs this. Oh, this uh, well, we're going to chat with uh, Megan Basham coming up from the Daily Wire. She's got an interesting article that she published recently uh, about a group called The After Party. We're looking forward to digging into that with her and hope you'll stick around for the conversation. Hey, Narrative listeners. You know, Christians in the marketplace today face more unique and challenging threats than ever before. Businesses are following woke capitalism, chambers of commerce are beholden to social justice, and secular activists are chipping away Christians' First Amendment rights. As Ohio's only Christian chamber of commerce, the Christian Business Partnership stands in the gap to advocate for, to educate, and to celebrate Christian business owners. Joining the partnership also allows businesses to provide their employees with health care insurance, workers' compensation, and exclusive banking and educational discounts. 
To find out more and to join, go to cbpohio.org. That's cbpohio.org. And we're back on the narrative. Mike Andrews, Aaron Baird, David Mahan, joined now by Megan Basham, who's a culture reporter for The Daily Wire and a frequent contributor to The Morning Wire podcast. She's also worked as an entertainment editor and podcast co-host for World Magazine. Megan's the author of Beside Every Successful Man and has written for The Wall Street Journal, National Review, Town Hall, and First Things. And Megan, we're so grateful to have you on the narrative today. Thanks for your time. Oh, well, thanks for having me. I'm grateful to be here. Well, Megan, we wanted to talk with you because of an article that you put out last month in First Things. And as we get set for the 2024 presidential campaign, I think there's a lot of election fatigue going around through the church and uh, especially after 2016, 2020. And and as we get set for this Biden-Trump presumably face-off again here in 2024, we're seeing that there's this movement um, maybe coming to a head from the left of of trying to shame conservative voters and and convince Christians that maybe the political positions they hold aren't actually biblical. And that that's sort of the framework for, for this article that you wrote about in First Things. But one of these uh, particular movements we're going to see this year is called the after party. So if you could, could you give our audience just kind of an overview of what the after party is? Well, it's interesting that you brought up kind of the broader narrative because I really became aware of what the after party was and what it was doing because of a book by uh, a secular. Well, he's a Christian, but he works for a secular magazine. Um, Tim Alberta of The Atlantic has a best selling book out right now called The Kingdom, The Power and the Glory. And the thesis of this book, and I would say it's the thesis of a lot of books that have come out recently, is that the church has come to idolize politics. And so it's sort of um, a book that's issuing a cautionary tale about how we need to not idolize politics in the church. Well, so a little tidbit that uh, the writer Aaron Wren first noticed, so I want to give credit to him. He first picked up on it. Um, Towards maybe the middle of the book, Tim Alberta mentioned um, that David French, uh, who is a New York Times columnist, uh, Russell Moore, who is the editor-in-chief at Christianity Today, and Curtis Chang, who's a little less well-known, but he's a former pastor, he's a Duke Divinity consulting professor, and he's probably best known for um, a website called christiansandthevaccine.com that was very active during COVID, convincing Christians that they needed to get uh, the COVID vaccination. Um, And in fact, he sort of famously um, created an analogy where he said that any aborted cells way back in the history of the development of this vaccine um, that allowed it to be created could be looked at like God's redemption of sin through Christ. Um, And so a lot of people kind of went at that. And (laughs) so that is kind of what Curtis Chang was well known for. But you know, I, I think an important note is that all three of these gentlemen are sort of famously never Trump. And in fact, Curtis Chang is a Democrat. Um, so they in this book of Tim Alberta's, he mentioned that they were developing this sort of curriculum to go into churches to help Christians deal with political divisiveness. And he mentioned in the book that they were not able to get any evangelical backers for this, even though it was ten- intended to be a curriculum to go into churches and um, evangelical college campuses and universities and all kinds of ministries, um, but they couldn't get any Christian backers. So instead, he said they went to um, mostly progressive secular backers, and that's all the book said. 
Um, and that was what Aaron Wren commented on in an essay. Well, I happened to read Aaron Wren's essay and I went, well, hold up. <laughs> who, who are the secular backers? Wait a minute. You know, I mean, we're bringing this into our churches. Who's bankrolling this? Um, so I did a little digging and I came up with the fact that Rockefeller Philanthropy Advisors, which we all know the name Rock Rockefeller, it is a very large, very influential, and I would say very hard left um, secular grant maker. So they um, were giving money to this project under a, a new project called the New Pluralists, the idea being people that we want to help teach us to be less divisive. Um, and so one of their grantees was the after party. Um, and I'll note that in that same grant funding round, there were climate justice initiatives. Um, there were initiatives for LGBTQ farmers to help more rural leadership coming from the um, gay community, I guess. Um, and so I reached out to the after party and I asked them about this funding along with a number of other um, questions that I had for them. And they said, well, we're going to update our frequently asked questions page. And when I went to check the update, they also revealed, by the way, we also take funding from the Hewlett Foundation, which if you're not familiar with the <laughs> Hewlett Foundation is the second largest um, donor to Planned Parenthood, private foundation donating to Planned Parenthood. So, you know, these are very hard left organizations. And, you know, just to give you one example of some of the other things that, um, Rockefeller Philanthropy Advisors funds. They also have a group that they're uh, they gave a hundred million dollars to called the Collaborative for Reproductive and Gender Justice. I may be getting that name slightly wrong, but essentially the idea was that it is a group that um, its purpose is to further abortion and to further gender affirming care for youth. So really, not the kind of people you would expect to be in bed with. Um, a, a church curriculum. Yeah. And and I'm going to take a big swing here and guess that those types of organizations wouldn't fund something that they expected to land people more firmly in a conservative Christian camp. N not historically, you know, this would certainly be turning over a new leaf. Let me put it that way. I mean, they have gotten a little bit into funding some churchy things, um, something like the Evangelical Climate Initiative, I believe Hewlett was involved with that. So that was kind of a push to get Christians to back like things like cap and trade regulations, fossil fuel regulations. So things like that, but it's always something that you would say falls on the progressive side of the ledger. Yeah. And notably not trying to make Christians less political, just trying to make them less conservative. Right. Which, which again is right. one, of, one of my big beefs with, with, Russ Moore and and David French's I mean this even kind of peaked its head in the the he gets us ads uh, at the Super Bowl this year where you know all of the the imagery of Jesus washing feet were were always uh, progressive people getting their feet washed it, it wasn't you didn't see uh, you know MAGA hat wearing people getting their feet washed it was it's always sort of that 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 perspective I'll just say that the funny thing about just uh, for for regular narrative listeners uh there's there's a funny aspect of this after party or, or the the tim alberta book um there there is a, a friend of mine uh in washington who texted me one sunday morning and said hey i'm reading this uh this tim alberta book and he's mentioning two ohio churches in particular do you know these guys um and the two pastors uh the first pastor was uh pastor gary click 
uh, who is uh, was the sponsor of our Safe Act, uh, our Build a Bands <laughs> Trans Medicine. He said, "Oh yeah, yeah Gary's a good friend." Uh, and the other pastor actually, while he was, I, I, I complete honest story here. While he was telling the second pastor was uh, uh, was Pat Murray of Living Word Church in Vandalia, and I was actually at Pat Murray's church that morning with the governor as he was speaking out against the abortion initiative. And so I sent a picture of the governor on stage with uh, <laughs> with Pat Murray uh, and said, yeah, those are great churches. <laughs> and again, like, you know, here's my, my issue. With, and I, I have not read Tim Alberta's book. Mm -hmm. This was the, the framing that was described to me. Um, but, the, you know, the framing of Tim Alberta's church was, oh, look how moral majority and super political this, this church is. And by all means, Pastor Pat is completely unafraid to tell Christians to vote and, uh, you know, stand for life and for children. Uh, but Pastor Pat's church is a very large mega church that has the largest, that supports the largest dream center in downtown Dayton, helping inner city kids and poor kids get meals every day. And, and, and I, I have a feeling Tim's book said nothing about the, uh, all those other great things that, that Tim does because he teaches his people to be culturally engaged and mindful of the society and the world that they live in, which is uh, is very different. Um, I, I guess, sorry, Megan, that, that, that's a complete- No, uh, no, no. I, and I wish I had known that as I was reading Tim Alberta's book, because I did read the whole thing and your, 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 your understanding of it is correct. <laughs> yeah, I figured as much. Okay. So I, I guess one of the things, Megan, that, that really jumped out about your story was um, you know, I'm, I'm, I've got the your article here on first things, and we'll put it posted in the show notes. Uh, but they mentioned in particular that they want to launch this after party program in Ohio. So, from from your research, what does that actually look like for 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 pastors in Ohio, for folks in Ohio, or, or just other states? We know they did one of their their first programs actually at a a church I used to know when when I lived in Arizona. Um, what, what is this programming going to look like and what should folks be sort of on the lookout for as they're seeing this stuff pop up? Yeah. So, and I think that was a really important point. You know, the after party website doesn't exactly advertise, Hey, we're launching this in the battleground swing state of Ohio, but Rockefeller sure did when they announced the project. Um, so, you know, they're kind of representing a bunch of foundation. So they wanted those secular left foundations to know this is what your money's going to. So I thought that was yeah. interesting. Um, and by the way, they're also making it free through 2024. Yeah. I'll just say as a fundraiser, <laughs> it helps when you tell people that I'm doing this in a battleground swing state donors like to give to that. So again, for this curriculum to be about not being political, the fact that they're targeting, you know, swing states, uh, says something. Right. And so, you know, to get back one, I, I want to note not just the people who are bankrolling it financially, but also the partners who are helping to get the word out and, you know, putting um, just efforts in to raise awareness of it. One of them really surprised me was called the One America Movement, um, which is supposedly sort of an ecumenical group um, committed to, you know, taking down the political device divisiveness among um, religious communities. But like on the board, there was a female LGBTQ affirming rabbi and, you know, there was another Christian on the board, but he is someone who founded the Black Lives Matter chapter of New yeah. York and has called Jesus a black radical revolutionary and defended riots. So I don't think you would say that these are people who are known to be um, afraid of engaging in politics. It's just what kind of politics are they engaging in? 
So, you know, I did watch through all the curriculum. Um, and the majority of it, I would say, you know, it was extremely light on Bible. Um, it really surprised me. I expected something of more substance. I expected it to at least grapple with verses like, um, what does it mean in a representative Republic to render unto Caesar? What is Caesar's? You know, we have duties as citizens. We have rights as citizens. What does that look like in the light of scripture? Didn't deal with that at all. Didn't deal with Jeremiah about seeking the good of the city we live in. Um, so it was very light about, um, to walk humbly, and have mercy. And it was very strong on, listen, issues are complex. We think we know how to easily solve some political problem, but we really don't. And it can be very complex. And so we have to be humble about how we approach issues. And one particular um, scene surprised me a lot because there seemed to be this ongoing theme of we just don't always know the best way to solve these problems. And as David French was on the screen, sort of you know, making this very point that, gosh, things are so complex and we can't always know. You saw um, on the screen in front of him an image of a woman holding up a pro-life sign. And so the visual implication was here is an issue, abortion being one that's not simple and we just don't know the best way to approach it. And I'll be honest, that stunned me um, to, you know, sort of visually offer that as an example of something that is complex, because I think a lot of issues can be complex and Christians of good faith can have different views on the best way to solve them. I don't think that's one. I mean, I think we should do everything we can legislatively and politically to outlaw abortion. Yeah. So, uh, so that would be an example. And, you know, beyond that, I can tell you um, they did have one issue they didn't think was particularly complex. And it was very clear that they think racial justice should inform your voting habits. So we've got abortion over here doesn't necessarily need to inform your voting, but racial justice absolutely does. So if that is the case, where are you going to be casting your vote? Yeah, no, that, that I'll just say that that story kind of reminds me of uh, some of the folks might have seen the, uh, the story this week of the Bible that got punted across the stage for the Super Bowl uh, sermon. Crossroads. Um, that was that was the same church that before they punted Bibles across the stage, they kicked David out of their church for saying <laughs> they, that boys are boys and girls are girls. No, that wasn't until after that Sunday, man. Like, man. But, but that was, and that issue didn't come up at all in this curriculum. Like, wouldn't you think one of yeah. the most important issues to Christians and the created order might have come up at least once? They did not talk about it. Yeah, and, and that was it. Was a very similar situation there where you know david spoke very clearly about transgenderism at the church and the pastor's response for why they ended up sort of canceling ccb and david and that was well we we should just we just want to stay out of political issues but at the same time they were saying that they had their racial justice curriculum up on their church uh platform um and it was that the difference was that you know their their corporate backers at procter and gamble aren't going to get mad at them for having that up there but having david speak about uh you know we shouldn't be sterilizing kids is, is crosses the line. Yeah. Or just David speaking, period. At all. Right. Exactly. And the, the whole reason why he had me come is because they were dealing with controversial cultural issues. But anyway, that's a whole another thing. But um, I read about this. Did I read about this story? Yes, you did. Yeah. 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 I read about it overseas. He was the bigot. <laughs> oh, you you're know? kidding. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, so, it's good to meet you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> come on, Megan. I mean, you can you can have me come to your church. I mean, I got three standing ovations in Babylon, so I mean, it was kicked out. <laughs> nice. too, right? no, anyway, <laughs> anyway, this this all, and I'm sure you've heard this before, Megan, but this all can sound very conspir conspiratorial. 
Sure. Um, there's this dark group that is uh, making their way into the church to deceive the brethren. Um, what, you know, folks are so tired of, of politics. A lot of the folks in the church, I'm talking about the ones that are just, you know, good believers. They, they really don't know a whole lot about politics. They may not know who CCV is or who Megan Basham is. Um, but yet, if, if, if what you're saying is true, there has to be a counter movement to at least raise awareness about these people, um, the angle that they're coming from, their financial backing. What is your approach to, or, or what would you suggest that states do, assuming that Ohio is the first of many um, to combat this? Yeah, I mean, you know, the first thing is just that issue of if it sounds conspiratorial, well, maybe it does, but here's right. what's not conspiratorial is IRS 990s. You can't argue yep. with them. Um, so, you know, if you look at something like Tim Alberta's book, it's extremely subjective. You know, he's it, like you said, he's interpreting your pastor friends and offering analysis. Something like what I offered in the first things piece is not doing that. It's saying this is not in question. This is these are the records. The, right. This is who they're taking money from. And this is why these people say they're giving them money. Um, so those things are not in question. Um, and, and then beyond that, you know, I, I think we also do need to have a positive vision. I know that people are tired of politics, but I also go, I believe that part of being salt and light is having a very, very clear vision for what the political good looks like. So we have, you know, what the good looks like socially, we have what it looks like in our families, and we also have what it looks like politically. Um, so I don't think that's something that we have to be afraid of talking about. And here's the thing is I do feel like on one side of the aisle, people are so flinching now because they don't want to be tagged with being politically idolatrous that it's almost to the point like we are not going to talk anymore about what a scriptural vision of you know, living out our faith in the public sphere looks like anymore. And we have to do that um, because what, as much as it makes me chuckle at the same time that they are saying, oh, there's all this political idolatry going on, they don't have any trouble holding up groups like Evangelicals for Biden and praising some of the leadership yeah. of Evangelicals for Biden. I can't quite wrap my head around how you square that circle, but they're doing it. So I think one is, and look, I've maybe been a model for this in ways that I shouldn't always have been, but I am you got to be willing to speak up. We can't always be afraid yeah, of right. getting tagged with being the bad guy. <laughs> right. You know, and, and so in your opinion, you know, many would say, well, well, this is just, you know, follow your heart. Right. Which, which, you know, we, we know we're not supposed to follow our heart is desperately wicked above all things who can know it. But a lot of pastors do follow, fall into this, follow your heart type cultural move that finds its way into the body of Christ, right? We, we just had an issue here with the statement that, you know, a beloved pastor, Alistair Big made about, yeah. mm. you know, gay marriage and should believers attend. And, and so we talked about that. And, and it, but this is a belief. We, we love this guy. He's got a, he's an amazing ministry. Um, but then this sounds different. This sounds more deceptive, right? Like, right. Right. Like, like they're trying to pull the wool over believers eyes. Um, and this is this is just different, right? Yeah, I think that's a really good point to make. Um, I don't think we need to be afraid of having forthright open conversations about these issues, but that's not what we're talking about here. This is something that's kind of coming in under the guise of something else. Right. So if you want to come in and say to me, here is why I think we ought to back fossil fuel regulation. Okay, I'm certainly open to having that conversation, and I think Christians can have different views on that. Let's go ahead and debate it. Um, if you're telling me, 
you have to love your neighbor and vote for fossil fuel regulations. And now I have a problem. (laughs) So, yeah. um, Yeah. Well, and and again, I think that's, you know, one of the things that uh, you mentioned earlier, uh, how, how David French of all people, which is, you know, the David French we knew, I knew, you know, five, 10 years ago, the idea that he would be saying abortion is a complex issue that takes humility is, um, just mind blowing. I, I, I would never think that that would be, or even Russ Moore to some extent, but, um, I do want to ask though, cause you, you mentioned in the first things piece, um, what I noticed was was the first time I saw a strategy like this under play, which was the evangelical immigration table. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and, and that was the, the, the first one where it was like, well, you know, wait a minute, why, why is the ERLC and again, at this time, Russell Russell Moore was somebody who I really ex- admired and 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 gotten to know and, and respected. Um, but why is the ERLC lining up with lining up with Jim Wallace of all people? This doesn't make sense. Like Jim Wallace is like the known evangelical stooge uh, for 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 George Soros and folks. Um, th- this isn't new. Could you talk a little bit about? Because again, you mentioned that in here. Could you talk a little bit about that history and and what we saw here and and what that group was? Yeah. And I'm glad you bring that up because, um, you know, you asked about tinfoil hats and I think part of what we can do to sort of help people not feel afraid of discussing these things because they're like, oh, I don't know. It just sounds kind of icky. Well, okay. But historically this is not new. I mean, we can go back to the evangelical immigration table. We can even go further back and go look in the 1940s and fifties. This is not in question. You know, you go look at, you know, con- congressional records and you're going to see, um, communist activities in the church to deliberately infiltrate the church. I mean, there's books written about this now. And now we look back and go, oh, that was terrible. And I'm going, hey, listen, it may not be communists, but it is George Soros. Yes. (laughs) So Rob Reiner's dad have something to do with that too. I I feel like I saw a story about that. We're going down a rabbit trail here, but I I don't know. But now I'm going to go look for it after this. Yeah. Sorry. Anyway, go on. But so with the evangelical immigration table, what you had is essentially it is a, a front group. I feel very comfortable saying of the national immigration forum, which is a left, um, soft borders. You might say, I might say open borders, but certainly more on the amnesty side of the ledger. And they push very much for, you know, pathways to citizenship. And when they say that at the time, what they meant was like pay a thousand dollars and you wait some year, 10 years, which is really not that long compared to people who are waiting to get into the country and you pay a thousand dollars and now you get to be legalized. So at the time there was a very big push to want to pass the gang of eight bill, which is not dissimilar to what we just saw with a recent immigration bill. And so the national immigration forum kind of came up with this idea with some faith groups, including the National Association of Evangelicals, let's have a faith group, but it's essentially an arm of the National Immigration Forum. And part of it was um, a program called Bibles, Badges, and Business, and that was partially bankrolled by George Soros. And so they went out and got, you know, representatives in faith groups. So they don't say we're working for a National Immigration Forum. But if you go and look at their job postings and stuff, it's very clear they're being recruited to work for National Immigration Forum. They're just being given this sort of faith badge to hide under. And so that is what that is. And it's who all of these groups have kind of signed on to. And what I do want to note is I don't think every single person who decides to lock arms with the evangelical immigration table knows what they are. I think a lot of well-meaning pastors go, oh, my friends are doing it. 
Um, this sounds good. I want to welcome the stranger. I want to show love to refugees. So they don't really pay attention to all of the things these groups are doing and who's funding it. And so they sign on. So I do want to be very clear. Don't think everyone's in on it. Everyone's not in it. Lots of people don't understand. Yeah, no, Megan, I, I think that's that's what is so effective and deceptive about the strategy that these guys run um, is, is they recognize how many folks you know, sign on to things just because their friends are onto them. Right. And I mean, I, I, we had that here. We, there was a really hard push when I first got out to Ohio for us to sign on to the evangelical immigration table. Uh, and, and if it wasn't for the fact that Jim Wallace was associated and I knew who that was, we might've signed on. Yeah. Um, and, and be, because so many other folks that I knew and trusted had signed on to it. Right. Um, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things that it it is it's easy for folks to get wrapped into these things um and it makes it what's it's it's what makes it so difficult to battle them on that individual pastor to pastor level um is that they'll look at that and say well this guy's my friend and I trust him and and I know he loves Jesus and I know he's he's looking to be faithful to God's word um but you know this is a a very concerted and well funded effort uh to to penetrate the church yeah. And I do want to say, you know, maybe that would be my word for pastors. Hey, listen, um, if you don't know, don't feel pressure. Don't, don't sign up to one right. of these, you know, political groups that you don't really know what they're doing and where they're getting their money. Um, who's funding them, who they're associated with. It's okay to just say, you know what, I don't really know. And I'm going to leave this up to, you know, the conscience of our church members to sort out for themselves. And I'm going to preach the word and hopefully that will inform how, you know, the people in my church act, but we're not going to sign on to something that I don't totally know what they're doing. Yeah. Well, and, and, and again, too, I think, um, you know, look at the actual, this is where policy matters and looking at the actual positions uh, and the things that, again, you said uh, we, we can argue, we could quibble about whether it's soft border policy or open border policy. I, th I think what we've revealed over the last uh three, four years is that soft border policy is open border policy. Um, but that's a, that's a whole other story. Um, Megan, I, I do want to, I want to zoom out just, just real briefly as we, we start to wind down here a little bit. Cause I, you know, obviously, uh, I've been a big fan of your work partially because your work has run alongside my wife's work in world magazine. Uh, I and, love your and, wife, you know, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> she's the best. I'm, I'm a big fan. Um, you like to say she's better. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, there, that's not an argument here. Um, but, you know, one of the things that, you know, Maria and I talk a lot about, um, and I, I just think it's really a, an interesting story of a journalist covering the church, right? And we, we talk about this all the time. And even like when we were, you know, disagreeing with Alistair Begg's Kate, uh, you know, his, his statement he made um, a couple of weeks ago about attending a gay wedding. You know, we, we're always trying to walk that fine line of not beating up the bride of Christ. Um, right, so right, right. it'd be it'd be really interesting to hear your uh, how you walk that fine line as a journalist, as a Christian journalist who covers Christianity and the church. What's what's the th how you kind of process writing about things going on in the church and and writing about individual Christians in particular? Um, you know, one of the really big things for me and. Um... I, I am going to generalize a little bit about, say, somebody like David French in the last few years. But I think that, you know, if I had time to sit up and, you know, pull a bunch of essays out, I could back it up pretty readily. And that is, I think there is a difference between sort of broad brushing evangelicals and criticizing specific people doing specific things. 
Yeah. So I think if you are just saying white evangelicals do this, and this is why they're sort of terrible. Well, at that point, you're just kind of kicking the bride of Christ, right? If you want to say, okay, specifically, here are the things that I have issues with, um, with this particular group doing these particular things. And here are, you know, the hard records showing why I have issues. Here are the quotes and the things that they have said, um, that I take specific issue with. I think that's a really big key. And, um, you know, biblically, I think we can look at that too. I mean, you know, you do kind of have Paul going, Alexander, the coppersmith is the guy I have a problem with right now, you know, not just all those guys over there. So I, I think that's part of it. Um, and then also, I mean, I do hope it's known that, um, I do this out of just, you know, a, a deep, deep love for the church and the, you know, the church that saved me and wanting, well, you know, when I say that it being the vehicle, the, the, the churches that were the vehicle to bring me to salvation. Um, and I want to protect them and I don't want them getting confused about what social justice is and what saving souls is. Um, because when I look back, I go, if I had walked into a church that was doing all that, I don't know that it would have had anything for me. Cause it would have looked just like the college campus that I was sort of limping in from. Um, so that's, I mean, part of it is you do have to sort of check your heart motivation and I have no problem going, man, I, I drug a very, um, in the pit, in the mire girl into that church. <laughs> and I want those churches to still be there for the next, you know, girl like that. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and I think even just for us at CCB and the narrative, that's something we try to try to walk. But I, I do think more and more, and it's what I appreciate about your work, Megan, is naming names and, and giving details right now. And and it can easily become gossipy or, or trying to, you know, build a platform. But I, I think with, when you see things like the after party and, and folks like Russell Moore, who, you know, in the past, I think a lot of people, myself included, really look to as a, uh, as an important leader, um, now doing things that are openly harmful to the the church and and misleading. I think it's important that we talk about that publicly. Um, and again, not doing so to, to build ourselves up, but to, uh, to educate the body. Yeah. Well, and doing yeah. so in a way that, that sounds churchy, I right. guess is a, is a way to put it that you can't have you can't let your biblical conviction on an issue be the driving force of your vote if it leads you voting for someone like Donald Trump. Right. Like right, you, exactly. you you have to it just doesn't follow for me. And yeah. that's been the frustrating thing as as we see this play out in in the broader narrative. Talk about painting with a broad brushstroke. It's like, well, if you voted for Trump, you're you are engaged in political idolatry, which right. is just right. not right. Yeah. And that was an interesting part of the curriculum, which is supposedly to teach Christians how to get away from the divisiveness. And I thought, well, if you really wanted to do that and you wanted sort of the spectrum of evangelical um, partisanship, wherever you fall along the line, why wouldn't you have gotten people from some different views? Why wouldn't you have brought in, you know, a Trump voter and David French and Russell Moore? You know, I mean, you had three guys who were totally lockstep on everything. Um, so that also told me that it, it was just a disingenuous curriculum. Cause I'm like, if you were really doing that, you would get some people with slightly different opinions within the Christian community. And they didn't do that. Yeah. Well, Megan, we appreciate your, your work on this issue and your time chatting with us today. If people want to follow what you're up to, uh, where, where can they find you? Well, at the daily wire, of course, um, and morning wire podcast, as you said, at the outset, um, I'm on morning wire several times a week. Um, and you can follow me on Twitter at, at Meg Basham. 
Um, I can be a bit of a bruiser over there and <laughs> you can follow me on Instagram where it's all, you know, fun family stuff and a couple of videos now and then um, at, at journalist Megan Basham. Great. Thanks so much, Megan. Really appreciate you joining the narrative today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Narrative, presented by CCV and produced by Wessler Media. If you found today's episode insightful, leave us a review or rating and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. We're your hosts, Mike Andrews, Aaron Bear, and David Mahan, and we'll see you next time on The Narrative.